But it's, un, it's important to understand that oftentimes what we see come out in our lives is that dross that's coming to the top. See, when you say, Jesus, fill my life with your will, I say I want your will in my life more than my own will. What do you think he does? He turns up the heat. If we're a lump of metal, okay, put this picture in your mind. If you're a lump of metal that includes, you know, gold, it includes other things, precious metals, not precious. But what you want, the goal is to be that purified gold. What does he have to do? Turn up the heat. Turn up the heat in your own life. That's what you pray for when you pray for His will. That's what we pray for as a church when we say, Your will be done in Ignition Church. So we can't expect it to look like anything else. We can expect it to be a move of His Spirit because we let Him. And that to me is extraordinary. I'm so thankful that God listens to our declared words and knows our heart and does not necessarily listen to our emotions. Amen. Right? Because you declare something and you move forward with it, and what happens? The, the, the first, first sign of resistance is like, oh, man, maybe I made, made a mistake. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done this or, or whatever, whatever the case may be. I don't know if you guys are still hearing a ring. It's driving me nuts. Yeah, I've got all the mics off except mine. The mids are down. I had I had everything uh, everything set. I, I I don't know if some someone or something messed with it, but that's all right. No, it's more for online, so they can hear me. Yes, but it's important to stay focused in that fight, because it is a fight. If you don't think it's a fight growing in Jesus Christ, then you have not stepped out to grow in Jesus Christ. It's a fight. It's a fight in our internal decisions, but then it's a fight in our external things as well. The results of those decisions, that becomes a fight. Why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, right? We wrestle against things that are outside of our own control. So I want to get into Acts today, and we're, we're in chapter 8. If you remember where we were before, right, we were where... Stephen was stoned to death. And what a picture of the early church Stephen was. And the grace in which he even gave his life. The joy that he had even in giving his life. It reminds me of what we talked about a few weeks ago, and that is how we conquer. How do you become a conqueror? You know, three things, very simple. Out of Revelation 12, verse 10. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ you have to be saved. You have to be covered in His blood first. Secondly, it's by the word of your testimony. 
And we'll get back to Acts here in a second. But it's the word of your testimony. In other words, it's not just your testimony. You cannot be an island unto yourself and become a conqueror. It's by the word of your testimony. It is what is expressed out of your mouth. It is what comes out of your life. Your testimony. But wow, that third one. It's the hardest one. It's the one that most people don't get. And it's the one that most people don't realize is actually a necessity. I was talking, Josh and I were talking about that this morning. And that is that they did not care about their life even unto death. And we like to stop right before that last one. Because what does it mean to not care about your life? It means to be willing to step without knowing where you're stepping. It means to be willing to walk onto the battlefield knowing good and well that you are going to get hit. It means recognizing this life is not your goal. You know, I, I, I love how Jesus peels back layers. He just peels back layers on verses. And, and there's not a greater example to me than Matthew 6.33. We've talked about this a million times. I've preached on it a million times. I've used it as examples a million times. And, and then as you grow in your walk with the Lord, he takes you to a new level of understanding in Scripture. He's done that again with me, with Matthew 6.33. You know, seek first his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. You know, I, I hate to disagree with other pastors and theologians, but I have to. See, you cannot find his kingdom right now. And those people that say, you can find his kingdom now, do not understand what his kingdom is. You can find him right now. You can be with him right now. But see, he cannot be in his kingdom because he does not sit on his throne. His throne does not come until the thousand year reign. That's when he takes his physical throne, the throne of David. What's been prophesied. That is his kingdom. So what does it mean when he says, seek his kingdom? This is the new layer that he taught me. It's because the cares of this world cannot be what inhibit you from doing his will. When your mind is on his kingdom, which is that time to come, then all of a sudden the things of this world, the cares of this world, don't become as important. And by the way, I'm not talking about the needs of this world. I'm not talking about, well, now I'll stop caring about people around me. I mean, you're, you're dividing the word of God wrongfully if that's the case. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about not caring about your life even unto death. Because if you recognize that this warfare on this earth is not about this life, but it's about a life to come, 
a life. When you become a conqueror, you have the opportunity to become a conqueror and to serve with him and rule with him in his kingdom. Then all of a sudden, the trials in this life, they don't mean a whole lot. Right? How many of you have gone for a job that it took a lot to get that job? You had to, you know, not only apply, but you had to qualify for this job. That took effort. You know, think about the military. You don't just join the military. They give you a gun and you go stand at point on some base. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't quite work like that, praise God, by the way. <laughs> no, you go through a training. You go through a qualification. I've known people that have joined the military and not made it through that qualification. And you certainly see that when it comes to the elite groups in the military. There's a cost to reaching that point. So why in the world would we not think that there's a cost to serving with him and ruling with him in his kingdom? There is a cost to seeking his kingdom. By the way, he said, seek ye what? First. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Because when we're seeking him in his kingdom that is coming... It puts in perspective this life. And wow, that's so necessary. Because it's so easy to get this life out of perspective. And fear has a really good way of doing that. Because fear is the number one, that's the go-to spirit of the enemy. Fear in so many ways. Anybody not experience fear in here? And raise your hand, and we'll scare you. <laughs> There's no such thing as not facing fear, not being hit by that spirit, because it's his first level way to gain authority. And that doesn't mean fear like I'm about to be killed. That could be fear of, I'm not doing a good job. That could be fear of, I'm not good enough for this. I know I was called to this. I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can, but I'm just not good enough for it. I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. So that's not Jesus saying that because if he called you to it, he made you good enough. All that needs to happen is refinement. He's put the raw materials there. They're automatically there with your calling. But there's refinement to make those tools what they need to be. So wow, what a what a prayer we pray when we say we want your will. It's a very simple thing. But it's a very costly thing. But you know what? It's more of a cost not to. When you know Jesus Christ, it's more of a cost not to. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Father, I pray that every word from my mouth, as Shannon prayed earlier, and, and I've prayed a few times this morning, every word out of my mouth be yours. I give you my mouth. I give you my hands, my eyes, my ears. I give you my whole body to do with it what you want. 
but speak your words through me, Father, as you've promised. In Jesus' name. So after, after this, that, uh, that Stephen was stoned to death, then Saul goes on his tirade toward and against the church. So we'll, we'll just start at verse 1. And then I want to get down more toward the middle of the chapter. But let's begin at verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, meaning Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So you can imagine. Remember what we've gone through already. We know of at least 8,000 people that have come to know the Lord. And, and probably many, many, many more than that. But Scripture talks about a point where there's 3,000, point where there's 5,000. So by this time, we know there's 8,000 people at least, in addition to the 120 that are part of the church. And so what happens as Paul begins to go after the church going door to door, what happens are those that he takes to jail go to jail, but then the rest scatter. The rest run, right? They run out of, out of fear, out of what's going on, out of persecution. They run except for the apostles. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. This is a great example of how God takes something that is not his will and he turns it into something good. Okay? It was not God's will for people to be arrested and beaten and killed, right? But he turns that into good as he, as he does so many things in our lives because, see, the gospel had to get out, too. So you can imagine all those people that began to scatter. Now, Philip, who we're going to be talking about here, he was one of those who became a deacon. And, and I think we talked about that last two weeks ago or whatever it was. It was in chapter 7, I believe. And, and so, so Philip goes to Samaria, getting out of Jerusalem because of the persecution going on there. He's driven to Samaria. And what happens? He preaches. What is inside him is his testimony. The word of his testimony. It had to come out. And that's what he did. Verse 6, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Now, now recognize, first of all, Samaria. Samaria is not the place that most Jews wanted to go to. Right? This was, this was I mean, to them, and, and this is hard to say, but to them, the Samaritans were like dogs. Right? But that's where Philip sent and these people, with one accord, paid attention to what Philip was saying when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So Philip came with the power of the Holy Spirit because signs and wonders were occurring. Verse 7, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame 
were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You can imagine what was going on. I mean, imagine this, this Hebrew comes to town and, and he's preaching this thing you've never heard of about this Jesus Christ. About how he died for everyone. Right? He's preaching this. He's showing signs and wonders. People are being healed. Demonic spirits are coming out. They're paying attention. Verse 9, and then we get into this story of Simon. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. By the way, when it talks about magic, don't get in your mind that, you know, pick a card, any card. Okay? It's not that kind of magic where it was a trick. Okay? The magic that was done back then, whether a person was a follower of Satan or not, was still demonic. And you see it today. You see it today in, in people that their allegiance out loud isn't necessarily to Satan, and, and they don't even know that that's who it's to, but yet they find themselves caught into these different things like clairvoyant. They're clairvoyant, or they, they, you know, they can ESP, read somebody's mind, or, which, which isn't true, but... But still, the powers of the demonic are on them. That's what's going on with Simon here. And, and it was strong enough to where this whole city saw him as great. They saw him as with the power of God. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, just like we do. When someone gets saved, they're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even Simon himself, verse 13, believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. See, what's extraordinary is he was used to seeing <clears throat> tricks. He was used to seeing things that he knew how to do. This is not a Satan worshiper that was converted. Okay, This is a person who, un even, even unknowing to him, was given different powers by Satan to be able to perform these tricks that people thought were God. So recognizing what he knew how to do didn't even compare to what Philip was doing. He didn't know how to heal somebody. He didn't know how to command a demon to come out of somebody. But yet that's what he saw happening with Philip. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. So somehow they heard of what Philip was doing there, and they sent Peter and John there. 
who came and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is something for years had escaped my understanding. But it's so plain when you when you get it, you get it. It's like when God opens up scripture to you and you say, how did I not get it before? It's because our relationship with him is a process. Our relationship with him has to begin with obedience. Until we can begin with that obedience, we can't get to where we can receive the new layers. But what's going on here is these people listening to Philip believed in Jesus Christ, accept him, accepted him as Savior, were baptized in him, but had not received the Holy Spirit. This is proof that there is a difference between a filling of the Holy Spirit and what we know of out of Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, that were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about this before. I don't need to get into this again. There's a difference there. Because when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and seals our spirit. We are sealed. There's a mark on us that says, the Lord's cannot be taken away. It's stamped sealed. Doesn't take away our will. We've talked about that. But we are the Lord's. The Holy Spirit seals it. But you look at a Christian that accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, but then does not live a life for the Lord, and you see that there is sin in their life. You see a lack of power of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. So, so Peter and John came, and they recognized that they did not have the Holy Spirit. You see this six other times in Scripture, by the way. And so they laid hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. That's extraordinary to me. See, they didn't just stand up and preach and say, you know, get the worship all going and get this good emotion going and just say, okay, and Holy Spirit, whoosh. And then you see the crowds just like whatever. I'm not diminishing that because... I don't even know what that is. So I'm not going to comment on it. I could just tell you what they did. Because they were so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that the transference of that power came with two things. It came, one, with their touch because of the power of the Holy Spirit that had been given them. But two, it came with the welcome receptiveness of the Samaritans. See, they wanted it. The Holy Spirit will never force himself to control your life. He'll want you to ask him. He'll want you to give it, but he'll never force it. He'll never say you have to. So when they laid hands on these people and the Holy Spirit was falling on these people, I could just imagine what that looked like. How cool. I mean, I mean, we thought, we thought that Pentecost was cool. 
That was 120 people. This is a whole city. This is a whole city that the Jews thought of as not worth their time. Boy, Jesus had a different idea there, though, didn't he? So they're laying hands on him. People are receiving the Holy Spirit and his power and everything else. And then Simon says this. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to Peter's response. I love this. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and I pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken of the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So what just happened? Now, the Simon the magician, although he wasn't a magician anymore, I suppose, he gets saved. He really gets saved. But he recognizes something going on in the hands of the apostles that he wants. Immediately, what's he doing? He's comparing it to what he knew. I got great satisfaction when I was a magician. People thought I was awesome. They thought I was great. They thought I could do great things. So where does his mind go even after believing? This is a Christian. This is a person who believed in Jesus Christ, who received Jesus Christ into his heart. But he recognized from his own flesh how things used to be. And he said, I want that. I want that feeling again that I'm special. Why? Because I'm not so special anymore. Everybody now is looking at Philip. Everybody now is looking at Peter and John. I want that because I want myself to feel good about me. How often do we look at external means to feel good about ourselves? Oh man, all the time. All the time. You know, that is a counterfeit for recognizing how important you are to Jesus Christ. See, it's the importance of self. If I am more concerned with, with receiving my, my self-worth from people, from comments, from Facebook, oh my goodness. How many likes did I get this week? You know, and, and, and I, I'm not condemning. I did the same thing. Everybody does. How many friends do you have? I know like 1% of them. 
You know. <laughs> but really, that's what we do at so many different levels. We, we claim our self-worth on what it feeds externally, on what we can do. That's exactly what Simon was doing. See, because he accepted Jesus Christ didn't mean that he was immediately taught in everything that Jesus wanted him to, wanted him to know. I wish, and, and it's going to be awesome getting to heaven and actually being able to talk to Simon, because I wish it went on with his story. You know, the beautiful thing is his heart reaction was such that he wanted Jesus. He didn't want what was said was going to happen. I don't want to be discarded. Right? But it's a process. Where are you at in your walk with Jesus Christ? See, you've got to recognize that we, we all know it's a process. But the thing that's tough is it's a process of getting away from ourselves. It really comes full circle back to Matthew 6.33. It's the process of recognizing this world is not the reality. But the world with Jesus Christ, and even more so the world to come with Him, that is the reality. Could you imagine? Can you imagine a group of people that had their eyes so focused on his kingdom, on what was coming, that the cares of this world literally melted away because they're not even watching them. Doesn't mean they don't live in this world. See, we have the whole book of Acts, which shows the lives of people that did that very thing. Their lives were not important to them. The kingdom of God was. Can you imagine? I don't believe since this time we've ever had a group of people like this. That were so sold out that their lives did not have more value than what God wanted to do with them. Tell you what, you get a group of people like that, they'll change the world. Just like this group changed the world. And I believe... I believe in my heart of hearts that this was an important lesson for Simon. And I just have a feeling that he got it. Can't wait to ask him about it. But I just have a feeling that he got it because what became more important to him was that that would not happen what Peter said. That he would be discarded. He says, for I see you in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. In other words, he was a slave. He was a slave to sin. He was a slave to his own desires. He was a slave to his own frailty. The frailty's there. The desires are there. The human recognition is there. You don't have to be a slave to it, though. See, you live in a fallen body. You live in fallen flesh. You will until you breathe your last breath or until Jesus comes. But it doesn't mean you have to be a slave to it. 
It doesn't mean you have to be a slave to the very things that are whispering in your ear to do something else. You have sovereign choice in your life. That's what Jesus Christ bought on the cross. Do you understand that? He paid for you with his blood. But in reality, what God lost in this, what the Father lost in this, he paid the dearest price for love. Because he gave you a choice. He gave me a choice. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary that the the Father of the universe, God the Father, would bring Himself to a place of being subject to our choice. Do you understand that? He is subject to your choice about your life. He's not going to make that decision for you. He'll guide you. He'll take on your enemies. He'll give you the very words. But you have to choose to let Him do it. Oftentimes we we live this, this Christian life and wonder why we can't move forward with something. And then only to come to realize that it's been our choice the whole time. Now sometimes... Finding the reason takes some effort. Right? We, we find ourselves in positions in life for many different reasons. We've talked about these, you know, in different times, different ways. We certainly make our own decisions, but you know what? It's not just our decisions that affect us. It's oftentimes the effects of the generations before us. Right in the Old Testament, we know that they used to pray, Lord, forgive our forefathers. Forgive our forefathers that that would not go into the land. Forgive our forefathers that one generation, the next generation after Joseph, turned to idols. After getting in the land, I mean, that's crazy. One generation. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. That's what they used to pray. Forgive them. Why? Because they're, they're not alive to be forgiven. But it was the forgiveness that would break what was being transferred to their children. If you don't believe me, look it up. If you don't believe me about sin being passed on generationally, I got one example for you that's affected everybody in this room. Adam. What Adam did affects each one of us. How do we break that? By accepting Jesus Christ into our heart. Our destination changes when we do that. But we live in this fallen body, so we have to fight and recognize that it's a process of relationship. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you're not just, oh, now you get the A package. Here, let me just blink that into your mind, and now you are a new person. No. 
Now we're a new creature, but Paul says we have to transform our mind every day. We have to do this every day because it's a process. Because once you learn something today, you need that information to then go into tomorrow and compound upon that to learn something new in that relationship. All of you that are seeking Christ in relationship recognize that. That's how depth in that relationship comes. It's from learning from the day before the lessons that he wanted you to learn. But sometimes there are lessons we just have a hard time getting beyond. And it's important to realize that we're not in our we're not in this fight just it's not like we're fighting ourselves for we wrestle not against flesh and blood right we wrestle against these forces that do not want to see us grow in relationship with Jesus Christ why because there's power there when the power of the holy spirit infiltrates your life and begins to grow in that level, there's power. That's the last thing in the world Satan wants. last thing in the world he wants is you to be growing in relationship to Jesus Christ. You know what? He honestly doesn't mind, I don't think, or mind as much, certainly. He doesn't mind when you grow in your knowledge of God. He doesn't mind when, when you can... You can look at all these things that the Lord teaches us to do and these principles and, and this doctrine and, and boy, he loves it when you get all hung up on some doctrine and that becomes your whole life. You know, and that's easy to do. Boy, I did that with prophecy. I loved digging into the word of God about prophecy. Loved it because two-thirds of the book of, of the, the whole Bible is prophecy. But, you know, if you're going after it because of the knowledge aspect of it, and it's not affecting your heart, it's not affecting your relationship, then it's not doing you any good. There'll be a remnant of it that takes seed because the Word of God never returns void. But if you don't apply that to your heart and apply that to your relationship with Jesus Christ, then it really means nothing. It doesn't take you any closer to that goal of seeking his kingdom first. Now what, is, what does that mean? Seeking his kingdom first. We talked about that. But what's the next part? And his righteousness. What does that mean? This is another new level. Right? God peeled back. You know, I remember first time I understood that verse, it was taking on Jesus' righteousness. When I accepted him as Savior, I took on his righteousness. His righteousness covered me in the eyes of the Father. And, and by the way, that's true. That, that's a good layer. That's a good layer of Matthew 6.33 to understand. But there are other layers. And the latest one he peeled back for me was, what does it mean when it says seek his righteousness? It means look at his life as a man and see what he did and seek that. Because see, Jesus' righteousness 
was not because he was God. That's important to understand. There's a difference. Jesus was, his righteousness that paid for the sins of this this world was not because he was just God, but because he came in the form of man down to where we are, and he was sinless. See, Christ's righteousness on this earth was perfect. He was perfectly righteous. Wasn't that he was wasn't about being perfectly knowledgeable about righteousness. Right? I know all the laws and I know I know all the things to do in my list of do's and don'ts and I know them all and I do them all and that's my righteousness. No. His righteousness and you read through the gospels you see it through the gospels. His righteousness was his relationship with the Father. What did he say? He said, he said, I speak everything that the Father gives me to speak. I've told you all of it. He tells his disciples there before he, he went on the cross. He said, I've told you everything. His relationship with the Father was his righteousness. And it was displayed in his works. It's no different with us. When we seek the righteousness of Christ, we have to seek relationship. That relationship is with, get this, that relationships with the Father. Because of the Son, who we do it through, facilitated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the is the oil that makes the whole thing work. Right? But recognize that your relationship is with the Father. You can't just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of building my relationship with Jesus because he's a lot cooler. You know, he kind, of, he kind of lets me get away with this, and he kind of lets me get... You're fooling yourself. Your relationship, as you build one, is with the Father. And they're all God, all three, all of equal level, but they have three distinctly different things that they do and positions that they take. So to seek his righteousness is to seek that relationship with him and let your righteousness then be portrayed in your life. Not that I don't, okay, I'm, I'm just going to choose not to do this sin, and so I'm righteous in that. Versus, Jesus, I'm going to seek you and relationship with the Father, that you work in my life, that it produces a purity in my life that is not of me, but is of you. Which one do you think is going to last? Yeah. It's the relational part. Why? And I can tell you from experience, I know when I sin. I know when I make a conscious sin, is what I mean. I mean, I think we sin a lot that we are unaware of. That's why David said, Lord, show me. But I'm talking about sin that we make a conscious choice of doing. I know when I sin. You know when you sin. Because it's a choice. 
And I could tell you from experience that as I've developed this relationship with the Lord, my reason for not wanting to make that choice to sin is different. Whereas before it might have been, well, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. Or I don't want this to happen in my life. Or I recognize the downside of that sin. And those are all good reasons. But when you grow in relationships, something changes. You recognize I'm going to hurt him. See, I know when I make a choice to do something I know I'm not supposed to do, I know I'm going to hurt the person who I have that relationship with. I'm going to hurt Jesus Christ. I'm going to hurt the Father. I'm going to hurt the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you think in the Word of God it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit? See, we don't think of the fact that we can grieve him. We can grieve the Father. We know we can make him mad. Just read, read a portion of the Old Testament. You'll figure that one out pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just... But did you know that you can hurt him? See, it's just like anyone else. Someone that has a choice of accepting you or not or loving you or not when they choose not to and you love them you love them enough to give them everything but when they don't choose to be obedient that's going to hurt and it hurts deeply the father feels deeply and the more you increase in your relationship with him the more you recognize that and so you seeking righteousness isn't that I could check off that box. You know, did you get drunk today? No. It's not about being able to check off the boxes. It's about saying, I'm close to the Lord because I made the choice to seek his righteousness. To seek relationship with him so that he can literally permeate every cell of my body. I would never want to hurt him. I mean, that's, that's the real deterrent to sin. It's when you love. That's why love conquers everything in 1 Corinthians 13. If you want your life to be better, you want it to be closer to the Lord, you want it to be according to his will. You can't do it any other way than to grow in relationship with him. And that's a series of decisions. That's a series of choices. The level of relationship is your choice. Nobody else's. That's not just your choice for salvation. That's your choice to grow in that relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you. We praise you. And God, I am so thankful that you do give us the choice. Because then we can choose love. And we can choose relationship with you. And there is a joy that comes out of that that I cannot even describe. 
Others know what I'm talking about. Father, I pray that you open our eyes to new levels of relationship with you. Understanding that seeking you first in your kingdom is about the process of not caring for our lives as much as we do. Certainly more than what you want to do with them. But then the same part of that relationship is seeking your righteousness. The righteousness, Jesus, that you lived out here on this earth. Because you wanted to please your Father. Because of the relationship that you had built with him as a man. The faith that you built in your relationship with him as a man. So Father, I pray this morning that you permeate this place with your truth. That you show each of us right where we're at. That next step in trusting you. We love you and thank you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Craig Alton feels like a broken record when he um, talks about relationship because that has been the mantra of our calling and it really does bear repeating and one thing that struck me is the, the concept of Believing, you know, when I when you think about Simon and and all what he was told would come against him because of his hard attitude about wanting these powers for gain and for self worth. If you are feeling stuck in the fact that okay, I want that and I want to be right with God, but what do I do with all the junk that I have struggled in? You know, one thing we have to also give to God and sometimes even confess to God is the guilt and the shame. You know, when you come to a place of repentance, you have to then accept the forgiveness. And being unwilling to accept his forgiveness is still a form of holding on to something for yourself. That's why whenever the enemy tries to beat me up about something I've done wrong, first of all, when I'm repenting of something, I claim truth. 1 John 1, 9 is my favorite claim. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Done. Do you hear me, enemy? Done. I'm, I've confessed it. I've given it to the Lord. I am forgiven. And that's why in Matthew 5, when it talks about agreeing with your adversary quickly, keep a short account. Why? So that he cannot then use that unconfessed sin against you. Because remember, Revelation 12, and I said this in the ladies' class, he's constantly trying to accuse us. But he cannot when we are right with him. And that's what... Um, the beauty of drawing close to him is. But we have to then accept the forgiveness. And that's the thing I find so interesting. It's kind of like if you were at, a, in at odds with a friend and you ask them for forgiveness and they just won't forgive you. You know, that happens humanly, but that's not true with God. And we have to really um, walk in the truth of who God says we are. If we've confessed 
then we're forgiven. If we've, if we've dealt with that, just like if you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, you're saved, even though the enemy wants to lie to you all the time about that level of security. So I hope that, um, again, I say this often after his messages, but I hope that you'll listen over and over uh, to some of these messages. You know, the podcast, you don't always have to watch it through the Facebook Live and watch it, but listen again because some of these concepts... Um, are life-changing and you don't want to be as scripture says ever learning but never coming into understanding of it that is what makes a person puffed up where they just learn and learn and learn and learn and I used to hear that for years and years in my women's ministry a women that were on their next bible study but they never saw one inch of victory in their lives they were still struggling with the same stuff and they were on the high of the next Bible study, and they loved the fellowship, and they loved the homework, but it was like it stopped at the brain, and it never got beyond that into literally transforming their lives into their responses in relationships. And in the midst of some of these, they still have these catty exchanges or these weird insecurities or these times when they were completely overwhelmed with loneliness right in the midst of a Bible study. That ought not to be. You know, there is no good. It's like going to a going to a, a health seminars and a, and a Weight Watchers meetings and never letting it translate into what goes into your mouth ever. See what I mean? There's a disconnect, and that's why. Trust me, when the Holy Spirit is leading the relationship message to come out again and again and again, it's because it's needed. It isn't because he lacks information to give us or something new. As the Holy Spirit reveals to him what to say, it is God who needs Ignition Church and those online to recognize that that's still a message that needs to get in there because on some levels we're still not getting it. Now the exciting reminder if you're getting it is that it ought to just make you filled with joy. That that is exciting. Um, and I'm going to tell you something that um, is significant in how the Lord uh, works. When we're seeking him and when we're giving him our yes, it just happened to us last night and this morning. We've been having a lot of oppression in our house and in warfare you often have that. And, um, and we know that there have been significant forces and or even um, witches showing up at our house. And what was interesting is in the particular one um, incident last night, and this is how, how beautiful it is when God works at revealing, and this comes, this is the scripture based uh, is, is what he put together in my mind of Matthew 5, agreeing with your adversary quickly so that he doesn't have a right to take you before the court so that the officer has to, has to judge you and throw you into prison and basically you get caught up in being, you know, caught in, in something that he can use against you. As you pray, search me, O God, and know my heart, okay, and see if there's any wicked way. And you're willing to not have God have to pry it out. If you're willing to give things up, he will reveal to you things the enemy is trying to use against you. Well, this was something completely unknowing. So what happened is last night, um, uh, this, this witch showed up again. And uh, in this particular instance, they were not upstairs uh, like they often are, but they were actually, uh, the Lord revealed, trying to get into our basement. And, uh, and we had you know, called on the mighty angels to block it, and it was being blocked so they could not enter the basement. But immediately Greg said, you know, we ought to go through the basement and go through some things that um, 
maybe are there that, you know, that's where our storage area is. Maybe that, you know, is there that something that he's, you know, that, that we have, that he's grasping at straws trying to use against us. Well, I'm telling you, and we're just getting ready to, to go this morning when he mentioned that. Immediately what dropped into my spirit was a particular um, tapestry uh, kind of thing, that fur that he had had all the way back, I think, in high school. Um, and, and when I was a little kid. Or when you were little. Well, I just, I thought that in my mind, and I, and I asked him about it. He said, yeah, that could be. You know, we'll have to ask the Lord, you know, to be sure, confirmation. So wouldn't you know it, not knowing anything about that, um, Ruth said to me this morning after Sunday school, she said, I've been meaning to tell you, do you still have that tapestry thing that, that we got from Brazil? She said, you need to get rid of that. She said, what's on the front of that is a, uh, is a false god, is a demonic god, the symbolism. And you know, that was something that was hung up in Greg's bedroom for a lot of years. Back when I met him, I just thought that was so cool because it was made out of fur and everything. She said, yeah, you need to get rid of it. I'm telling you, the Lord, right away, it was such a confirmation because part of what flashed through my mind is this was something given to him by family, distant family, that could be an offense to just throw out, you know. And so I thought, okay, Lord, you're just going to have to fix all that, whatever. I'm not done with my hair. i got to get moving. i got to go. You know, like I just thought, I'll, I'll think about that later. And it just, God just gave such clear communication or such clear confirmation as to that. So my point is, when you're seeking God, you don't have to fear, but, but what if God, but, but I'm trying to get rid of this, I'm trying to get rid of that. Walk, take your step today, and like Greg said, take the knowledge of what you learn today, and it will compound into what God is showing you for tomorrow, and then that into the next day. That's the process that we walk in so that we don't, we don't have to be responsible for what we are going to be 15 years from now. You know, my daughter Yvonne is only nine. She's not responsible for what she'll be responsible for when she's Brooke's age, 23. She, it's it's going to be, God works with you where you are, and as long as you yeah. step in growth every single day and in relationship, he will reveal that. He could have revealed that tapestry anytime. I mean, our yes has been like, Lord, yes, yes. But as we've learned what we've learned about authorities, he's revealed that to us. So again, don't let the enemy beat you up for something you're not yet responsible for. But today, claim Psalm 139, 23, and 24, the search me, O God. And as he tries you and searches your heart, and you have that moment, now, now, today we're responsible for that. See, he's put that before us. Are we going to give him our yes and get rid of it no matter how beautiful? If you saw this thing, it's beautiful. It's just a huge... You can hang it on a wall. You can use it as a rug. It's so soft. It's gorgeous. Is it worth it? I mean, how fast can we get rid of it? Like, I'm running home to get rid of it. If that's something that the enemy, if that's made plain, that he can use against me because of the symbolism of where it came from and what it means, then I dare not hold on to it, okay? Now, you don't have to go crazy and start getting rid of stuff that God hasn't directed you to get rid of. But will you when he does? That's the question. That's right. Okay, that's why it can't be works-based. It can't be things that we orchestrate on the outside. As we're in relationship, he will reveal things, and then we're responsible to choose him and choose what he asks us to do. So I just thought I'd share that to you because God is so gracious. His grace covers until we're responsible. But then when we are, will we give him our yes? And that's really what it's all about. But again, he's, his, don't, don't let the enemy tell you you're coming from a place of lack. Well, I just got to get rid of everything. Everything's, everything's of the devil. 
No, don't do that. Don't do that. Walk in Him and He'll show you. He yeah. loves you. He wants to bless you and draw you in higher and closer. Yes. And, uh, and even making these seemingly religious decisions, they're not of Him, then mm. they're not of Him. And so God is so good. Um, so I just want to encourage you to, um, to listen again to the messages. And, uh, and then the one announcement that I want to make um, is 